I feel like women who dress like me and look like me and black, lesbian, you know, um, athletes, they have to fit into this framework of what a traditional woman is. And, and you have to be beautiful and you have to be talented and you have to be, you know, you have to dress femininely, whereas a male athlete just has to be good at basketball. That's it. You know, they don't they don't have to be handsome. They don't, they don't have to do all of that other stuff. It's just, oh, oh, it's LeBron James. He's amazing at basketball. Let's let's make sure, you know, he he's out there and we're promoting his face. And it's like, for women, we have to fit into so many different, you know, we have to check so many different criteria before we before we get the chance to do the things that I guess they deem as superstar worthy. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast to help you live a healthier, more empowered life. And this month, we're celebrating the FIBA Women's Basketball World Cup coming to Sydney by highlighting a different player each week in September. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebelagin. When Jean-Quel Jones thinks back to growing up in the Bahamas, she recalls climbing mango trees at her grandmother's house and sneaking off to play basketball with her friends. But today, things are very different for the woman dubbed the best player in the world. Rising through the ranks of basketball and eventually becoming part of the Bosnian national team, being a black gay woman in sport has meant Jean-Quel's road to the WNBA has been anything but easy. In this episode, Jean-Quel talks to our digital editor Nikolina Illich about fighting for what's right, how she used fashion to express her true self and always staying genuine no matter what life throws at you. Because ultimately, after all this, that's the only thing she wants to be remembered for. Just to start, you grew up in the Bahamas. Do you want to tell me what it was like growing up there? Yeah, growing up in the Bahamas was amazing. Um, I had a lot of cousins. I had a lot of siblings growing up. So it was always something to do um, on the weekends. Like my cousins and stuff, we would go down to my to my grandmother's house um, and we would like just like spend the weekends there and we just had full reign and freedom in her house. So like we could do anything as long as we weren't disrespectful to adults and we weren't like crazy loud. It was like everything we could do anything we wanted to do. So we had a lot of mango trees. We had a lot of fruit trees in her yard that we would like climb and get different fruit and just have fun. Um, we had a basketball court that we played basketball on all day. We would ride our bikes all day. It was just a lot of like community. It was a lot of family around in the community and a lot of people that knew um, that knew our family as well. So like it was a lot of community, like, you know, community leadership, community coming together to kind of like raise children. So we always had like free reign and, and full freedom to do whatever we wanted to do and, um, you know, just just be kids. And so I really appreciated that that part of my life for sure. So it was a big family. Oh, yeah. Huge family. Yeah, <laughs> huge cool. family. <laughs> And you had the basketball court there. Was so was that like the first kind of time you would start playing? Yeah, I think that's that that basketball court is like probably like my my earliest memory of basketball, just getting on the court and playing there. Um, I think that was the the earliest memory. So like as long as I've known myself, I've I've known basketball. So I really can't tell you exactly when, but I know that I remember that court being one of the first. And was your family quite athletic? Yeah, my dad played basketball. My uncle went to Bethune Cookman um, University. Uh, my cousin went to Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, we had a pretty athletic family. Like even even the ones that didn't like play basketball in school still knew how to play well enough to like play pickup games with, with us. So it was always fun. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I guess you're all probably quite tall, right? <laughs> so well, I'm, I'm I'm tall now. My cousin is pretty tall. I would say people on my father's side of the family are, are tall. But on my mother's side, they're not as tall. And then what about, like, the cultural belief system that you grew up in? Mm -hmm. What was that like growing up? 
Extremely Christian, extremely Christian. Um, you know, it still affects who I am today because I, I do consider myself to be a Christian. Um, but it was definitely extremely like religious. And we went to church every Sunday. My mother, when we say mummy in the Bahamas, my mummy, she she used to always tell me, girls shouldn't be dribbling a basketball on Sunday. So I would always like take my basketball and sneak over to my grandmother's house so I could play because I knew my grandmother would let me play basketball all day. So it was always like, that rule that girls isn't supposed to, or people in general, like Sunday was supposed to be a day of rest and you weren't supposed to do stuff like that. You're supposed to go to church and rest and relax. And so um, I would always try to find a way around the rules. <laughs> so do you feel like, you know, sometimes you think like, gosh, do I really fit in here? Well, when I was younger, it was more like, I was still young, so I really didn't know myself that well. You know, like it was, of course I had like feelings and stuff like that, but like there was never really like a definitive moment where I was just like, this is who I am. And it was more like, well, I feel this, but I'm not sure about it, you know? And so I never felt like I didn't fit in. I would say that probably now I kind of look at it, look at it like that. Like when I think about me, you know, eventually having a wife and raising kids and I'm like, I would love for them to experience the lifestyle of the Bahamas, but I would hate for them to experience the lifestyle of the Bahamas. You know, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. like that. So it's like, of course I want them to be a part of a community where everybody comes together, but it's like, the experience probably might be different for my kids than it would be for me because of the type of environment that, uh, or the type of home that we would have. So um, it's always in the back of my mind. I would I would love for them to experience the Bahamas in that type of way, but I'm not sure the Bahamas is ready for that yet. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. And then you moved to Maryland, right? So what was that de- decision? What was that journey? And how did life change kind of when that happened? Yeah, so I always... All the time when we were younger, we always played like my, it was kind of like an AAU team. It was like this coach that taught me basketball that we would go to. His name was Coach McPhee. And we would we would go to him every Saturday at nine. It would go from nine to 12. I would play basketball with him and like do drills and then play five on five with all the kids there. And then one to three, I would go to soccer because I love playing soccer too or football. Oh. But, um, but Coach McPhee was kind of the coach that kind of introduced me to like USA basketball because he... He took us and um, allowed us to go to the States and play against kids our age. And so from a very young age, I'd probably say probably nine, ten-ish, maybe even younger, we played against other kids. And it was like, no, actually, it will probably be seven. Around like seven-ish, we played against kids from the U.S. And I was like, why are they so much better? Like, why are they able to do so many different things that I'm able to do? And then as a kid, I started to see like, wow, they actually have like, they have gyms where they have full access to like all of the time, like they can stay and, and get shots up and be in a gym all day. They have coaches like fully committed. We had like one or two coaches that were like that. And so <clears throat> for me, I started to see the disparity in the opportunities for growth and, you know, just everything in, in, in sports over there versus what we had in the Bahamas, you know? So from that age, I started to say like, mommy, I want to go to the States to play basketball. Like, I, You know, just, they have so much more going on. And she was like, that's not happening. Like you're way too young. You're not leaving me now. Like, How old were you then? I was probably like eight, nine, around that age. <laughs> yeah, it was, I was very young. I was very young. And then as I started getting older, like, like you know, the messaging for me never changed. Like, my mind never changed. I knew what I wanted to do. But mommy was kind of like, oh, you still my baby. Like, that's not happening, you know. And so um, I think when I got into, when I got into the seventh, when I got into the seventh grade, kind of going into the eighth grade, we started to like really take it seriously because I think they realized that it was something that wasn't going to go away and how passionate I was about sports. Like I played every sport growing up, every single sport. And so they knew that that was what I wanted to do is be a professional athlete. Um, And so we started to get serious. We talked to a few schools in Florida because Florida was so close. 
but nothing ever panned out. Like I was just some little nameless girl from the Bahamas who nobody knew about. And so it was just like, like, nah, we're not gonna, we're not about to take that chance on you. Like, we don't know who you are. Um, and so Coach Yolette McPhee, who's actually the daughter of Coach McPhee, who I told you about earlier, she's the head coach at Ole Miss um, now. She reached out to um, Coach Richardson, who ended up being my high school coach in Maryland. She reached out to her, told her about me, and, you know, that I was this kid who could play really well and had a lot of potential. The only thing I had ever done was talk to her on the phone. There was no highlight videos of me. There was nothing that she could kind of look at and be like, okay, well, she's good enough to play in the Bahamas. She just took, you know, my Coach McPhee and Coach Yo's, Coach Yolette McPhee's word of mouth and kind of was like, okay, well, let me just talk to her on the phone. I spoke to her on the phone. It was well, you know, as a typical Bahamian, I was like very respectful and mannerly. And, um, you know, things, it, it was just a regular call. Um, and so knowing her now, she told me the story of how she felt. And she was like, after she got up the phone with me, it was just something that was just telling her, like, we gotta, like, we have to try to do something to help this kid out. Is what she told me, she told her husband. She was like, there's just something that's calling me to her. And she's just so... What an intuition. What a I good know. intuition. It's crazy, right? <laughs> intuition, God, like all of that. Like you can call it whatever you want to call it, but it was some type of divine intervention, right? And so, yeah, like he he gave and he was like, okay, like if, if you feel this strongly and this passionate about it, then we have to find a way to do it. And they decided to bring me over and, um, you know, let me join the team that she was coaching for, Riverdale Baptist High School. Um, and I ended up living with her and her family and, you know, the rest was history, but it was, it was definitely, I feel like it was divine because just like, who takes a chance in a kid that they don't even know, like, you know, so um, definitely God working for us for sure. Yes. So she was your legal guardian, right? She was. What type of an impact did she have on your life? Because you would have been with her so much, right? She has such a tremendous impact on my life. To me, I feel like it's kind of unfair to like all of the other coaches that I've had since her, but like, She's always been the gold standard to me of what a coach is, like someone who just genuinely cares about their players. Like, of course, she wants to win. She's competitive. She wouldn't be a coach if she if she wasn't. But at the end of the day, regardless of how that ball bounces and, and you know, the end result of a game or a match, she's going to genuinely care about her players. She's going to look out for them in the future. And, like, there's been countless times where, like, you know, I was a kid sitting in her car driving home from workouts and I would hear you know, somebody would call her and tell her, oh, I have this job opening. Let me know, you know, if you have anybody in mind. And she will say, okay, well, this kid, even if it wasn't somebody that played for her and she just knew through the basketball community and she knew that they were qualified for that job, she would put them in the right positions to go ahead and be successful. And I just saw that with her, like everything that she did was just so genuine and so thoughtful. And for me, like, I always wanted to play for people that just at the end of the day, they care about me as a human being, not just a basketball player, because mm. when it's all said and done, I'm still going to be John Paul Jones, a human being after basketball is done. And so for me, she's just, she's been a positive impact on my life. She, you know, when I moved to the U S my grades weren't the best. So she helped me to refocus on that. She helped me to understand what I needed to do, you know, um, in school to be able to actually qualify for a division one scholarship. And you were still so young. Right. Yeah, then. very, very young, very impressionable, and just so many different ways that she just impacted me. Like she, I, I literally call her my second mom because that's what she means to me, and I consider her family to be my family fully. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So she, in many interviews, she speaks so highly of your work ethic. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what do you think pushed you to practice so early and so late? Um, for me, it was I didn't want to go back home. To be honest. Like, the Bahamas is beautiful, the Bahamas is nice, but I knew for what I wanted to do, which is be a professional athlete, that 
if I went back home, that was going to be it for my dreams. You know, like I wasn't going to be able to accomplish the things that I wanted to accomplish by going back home. And then I had asked for the opportunity for so long to go to the U.S. that when I finally got it, it was it was something that I kind of cherished. It was like, look, I'm here to, to, to handle business. This is like, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but my mindset was like, this is a business arrangement. You know, like I got to I got to work hard. I got to. At the time, I was on JV, so I wasn't really playing. So I had to try to figure out ways to get on the court and and, and play, and you know, and and help the team produce. So you know, I remember days riding in coach's car, like crying and asking her, like, "What can I do to help the team? What can I do to get on the court?" And she would tell me, and you know, I just wanted to work on those things and um, you know get the confidence and the skill to be able to be on the court and help the team. Yeah, nice. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Then you were drafted in 2016. Mm-hmm. So if you feel if you feel comfortable talking about it, like coming yeah. out, understanding your sexuality, yeah. At what point, like, did you kind of start thinking, like, oh, hang on a minute? For me, it's like a, it's not like a black and white story, right? There's a lot of gray in there. So like, I remember growing up and like having those feelings and then kind of pushing them aside when I lived in the Bahamas. I was like, nah, that's not gonna happen. And you know, like my parents felt very strongly about it, and so there was always like this shame aspect that was like, I'm, I, that, like, that's not, it's not a human thing. Like the things that I was thinking was just like, it's, that's not, that's not what a sane person would think about, or that's not what somebody would actually do. And so then I moved to the U.S. and I saw more people that were kind of like doing the things that I wanted to do, but I was too scared to do it. Like whether that was females who dress more masculinely, like, you know, we would go play against um, different schools and I'm like, oh wow, she's actually dressing like that. Like, and she's my age, this is different, you know? And then, when I was in high school, I had like a little girlfriend that lived in Florida that I used to talk to on the phone every night that I never would see in person. But it was kind of like my way of like, you know, having like a little girlfriend without anybody really knowing. And we talked for a long time. And then I, I started to dress a little bit more um, more masculine. And I remember there was a time when like I called my, my girlfriend in high school. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I have to refocus myself because I don't, you know, like I just felt like I was just doing the wrong thing. And I remember like t- taking all my clothes and like throwing them out that were like more masculine clothes and like you know trying to get back into like more f- like feminine fashion. What was her response to you when you were saying that to her on the phone? She was hurt, but she was like understanding of it. You know, she was kind of like, "Dang, like you're just gonna stop talking to me? Like that's that's just it," you know. But for me, it was just it was like a spiritual conflict at the time, and so um, yeah, I remember that. And then yeah, so then I kind of took that with me through college, right? Like. With Coach Rich being there, I never wanted to disappoint her. And there was never, she, me and her never had a conversation. She had had multiple um, players for her that were um, lesbian. And so she never, it was never her. It was just always me thinking like, oh, I don't want to disappoint Coach. And I don't want, you know, like feeling like I had to live this lifestyle for somebody else that had never even told me it was wrong. But um, so when I went to college, I kind of did the same thing. It was like, I would kind of like do stuff, but it would be like, like, you know, very secretive. And so it wasn't until I really got to the league, like actually after getting drafted and all that, when I saw people like really living their lives like that, like, you know, you had the Diana Taurasi's and the Penny Taylor's, well, you know, they have a kid now and they were together. And then it was just so many people in the league. And I'm just like, wow, like this is actually really healthy. And they, they look really happy. And, you know, like it gave me the courage to really be who I am. That was when I really felt comfortable doing it and just being me. And, you know, I was an adult. I make my own decisions and stuff like that. So um, it was completely different. But even even draft night, you look at 2016, I'm wearing a dress. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm wearing a dress. Totally. I'm, wearing, I'm wearing heels. And, like, I'm happy to be drafted. But, like, I look at those pictures and I'm just like, ugh. Like, I just... Because you, like, touched a bit on that, right, on your style, how you kind of 
that mm-hmm. night you wore the dress and now obviously now you've become your own but like what mm-hmm. how did style help you kind of become yourself yeah style is kind of like your first introduction like it's just like even when you're too afraid to say what you are your style can kind of help you introduce yourself to the world and just you know it's like an it's an outward expression of who you are um inwardly you know so um that's that's exactly how it's helped me you know that's how it's helped me be who i am and um yeah kind of tackle those things that have seemed kind of insurmountable at times yeah totally and now like you know when you think back well even just thinking about you at this point you're a black female who is gay Mm -hmm. I mean like that's huge how did that impact your journey like was there any adversity that you faced from any of those three because just being a woman in sport just being black and just being gay in sport like it's huge yeah I did a players I did a players tribune article a while back about like when I played for the Bahamas um, national soccer team and like I remember this vividly like it was a younger player that was on our team and I literally just felt like I was supposed to look out for her as like a bigger sister so I was being very nice to her and I guess somebody on the team saw something that I didn't see and they went back to the coach and they were like oh like she's doing I don't, I don't even know what the conversation was but I just remember the coach coming to me and he was like you need to let me know right now are you gay? And I'm I'm like a, this is U13, so I'm probably like a 12-year-old kid. Oh, my gosh. Like, I don't even know. I don't even know. Like, I don't even know. Just, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Like, I'm like, what, what does gay mean? Like, am I gay? I don't know. Like, no. I, I don't think so. Like, Oh, that's horrible. Like, just he traumatized me. Like, he was like, I need to know right now before I make this team, are you gay? And do you have those type of feelings? And it was just like, what? Like. I was just, I was so confused in that moment. Like I was just fully confused and it kind of like, it kind of pushed me back. Like, and it kind of made me feel the way inside, you know? And it also kind of made me look at my teammates differently. Cause I'm like, all these girls are smiling in my face, but obviously somebody feels some type of way about something and nobody's saying it, you know? And so for me, I think that was the first, that was like my, my first real introduction to someone else seeing me in a way that I didn't see myself at the time and then having to deal with it, you know? And so, yeah, I think until the Players Tribune article, I had never even told anybody about that. And like my soccer coach at the time from from Freeport, she wasn't a part of the national team. And she called me. She was like, "Why didn't you tell me this happened? Like we could have did this and this." And I was like, "I was just a kid, coach. Like I didn't, I didn't even know how to deal with. It. I didn't even know how to handle it, you know." So she was like, "Wow, I'm so sorry." And we talked about it, but it was something that happened so long ago. But um, yeah, that was like my first introduction to it. And then you know, coming into the league, I always felt like it was just. That, that representation was there, but I felt like the players that represented that weren't given the opportunities to really shine as brightly as the other players that were straight and dressed femininely or, you know, were gay and dressed femininely too. And so I felt like there was kind of like this narrative to push, or maybe it wasn't a narrative, narrative but to me it felt like a narrative to push players that kind of fit into that traditional um, framework of what a, of what a female is. Um, and, you know, I just, I spoke out about it. Like sometimes when I just don't care anymore, I don't care what people think. I don't care how the message is going to be portrayed. I just jump on Twitter and I say what I have to say. And, you know, sometimes I delete tweets and sometimes I leave them up. But um, <laughs> these most recent ones have kind of like really just drawn attention to what's going on. And I'm I'm very happy and proud that, you know, me just getting on a social media platform can help open doors for other people and even open doors for myself. So it's pretty cool. And um, when I was at All Star, Neka came to me and she was like, you know that you speaking up on Twitter is what got you that State Farm commercial. And for me, like, I didn't even, I didn't know that. She's like the WNBA Place Association president. So there's things that she knows that I don't know. 
But to hear her say that, I was like, wow, like if I didn't say what I said on Twitter, I wouldn't I wouldn't have got a chance to do a State Farm commercial. And like that experience has been so amazing. But, you know, like it just it just shows that speaking out helps and hopefully it doesn't just stop at me. Hopefully it allows other people coming up behind me and even people that are here with me right now to have those experiences. And just for the listeners, like what was the synopsis of what you were saying on Twitter? It was just the same thing that we spoke about, just that like I feel like women who dress like me and look like me and black, lesbian, you know, um, athletes, they have to fit into this framework of what a traditional woman is. And, and you have to be beautiful and you have to be talented and you have to be, you know, you have to dress femininely. Whereas for me, people always get hooked up on the comparison between WNBA and NBA. But the only reason I drew that comparison was because a male athlete just has to be good at basketball. That's it. You know, they don't, they don't have to be handsome. <laughs> they don't, they don't have to, they don't, they don't have to do all of that other stuff. It's just, Oh, this is Kyrie Irving. He's great at basketball. Let's give him a deal. Oh, it's LeBron James. He's amazing at basketball. Let's, let's make sure he knows he he's out there and we're promoting his face. And it's like for women, we have to fit into so many different, you know, we have to check so many different criteria before we, before we have a, a you know, the, um, not even ability, but, before we get the chance to do the things that that I guess they deem as superstar worthy. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. It's never just like a focus on the sport. There's always so much more to it for females. So how do you think going forward, how can that improve? I think we just have to continue telling the stories. Like we just have to understand that, you know, it's 144 amazing women in the WNBA, probably even more when you think about, you know, people that leave the league or don't stay in. But we have so many amazing women that have so many stories and you will never know them until you give them the opportunity to share them. Before, I thought it was I thought it was like maybe the league trying to push a narrative, but just understanding more of like the business side of the league. I understand that there's these are corporations um, that have partnerships with the league that ask for a specific type of females or probably only ask for the females that they've seen before. And so... Just trying to get those those partners with the league to understand that there are so many other stories to share and to kind of like dig deeper into the pool of women and, and allow allow us to tell our stories. Because I don't think you're, you're going to find a league, a basketball league in the world with so many like college educated women. Like, you know, WNBA players have to stay in college for four years. By that time, we've all gotten our degrees, you know, so you have women that are very articulate, that can tell their stories, that can, you know, even frame the way that they want to tell their stories and, and be able to get it out there. So I feel like it's a unique opportunity to just tap into a, a very diverse group. Absolutely. We've interviewed so many basketball players, and when they tell me what they've studied, I'm like, how do you have time right, right. to do that and also train and also just have a life? Right. It's insane. Multitasking, yeah. man. Love it. And then I guess my last question to kind of sum up this bit is if you were speaking to your younger self, probably at that point when your coach was saying that to you and, you know, people were talking about you and your sexuality, what yeah. advice would you give your younger self? Or, you know, I would tell them to tell them, yes, I'm gay. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> nah, because I still wouldn't have known back then. But I think what I would tell myself is to like, share that story with somebody else, like bring somebody else in on that. Because I feel like it was even people inside of the National Academy that would have like looked out for me and kind of like just kind of held me close and like put the coach in his place. But because I was so young and scared to even talk about it, there wasn't an opportunity. I would say to be a little bit more like stand up for yourself, even though that's kind of tough for a 12 year old, but to just like stand up for yourself and, and let him know how you felt and really just voice, voice how you felt in that moment. And even this is the same coach. He actually, at the end of like, at the end of our tournament, because we went to Trinidad and Tobago to compete in the Caribbean championships or whatever. 
And after that end of that tournament, he came to me. He was like, just to let you know, like, I know you've been struggling between being a soccer player and being a basketball player, but I'm here to let you know you're a soccer player. You're a soccer player. So you you need to be a soccer player. And I'm like, you know, I wish I could speak to him now. I don't even, I don't even remember the guy's name, to be honest. But I'd be like, look, you were just wrong all the way around, dude. Like, Very wrong. You were wrong in your approach, and you were wrong in me being a soccer player. You know, so if I could speak to my younger self, I would just say they could just stay on the same road. Like, you are you on the right track to accomplishing your dreams. And um, just keep working hard and stick with it because it happens. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Now, I guess we're leading up to the World Cup, which is kind of why we're speaking to you today. Yeah. So first, I kind of wanted to understand the decision about going to Bosnia. Yes. How did that come? Yeah, so the decision was pretty easy. Me as a Westerner, you know, um, there's there's certain doors that are closed to me in terms of being able to make money overseas and the teams that I can play on because there's only a certain amount of people that each team can have. Um, And so I knew that, like, I've had really... I hate to say this, but I've had like really bad experience. Not really bad. I've had bad experiences with the Bombers national team. So for me, it just felt like if another country is going to offer me, um, you know, the chance to be able to make more money overseas and also represent them on a big stage and be able to, you know, play in a in a different arena and a different type of setting, then I was going to take that opportunity. And so um, with the Bosnian national team, when I got the passport, they had really told me that I really only needed to play in like three different tournaments or something like that, or maybe maybe even two or one. But like I, I got to the team and I got the passport and I formed a bond with those ladies, you know, like from day one, I played with them in Russia and they just accepted me and brought me in and they were very genuine and um, I could feel the love and, the, and, you know, the right type of energy. And as you can tell from this interview so far, like genuine energy really means a lot to me because I try to carry myself that way as well. Um, and so... Yeah, but just getting back to like the national team and me me getting the passport, it was an opportunity that was provided to me. And um, Coach Goran Loyo, who's the head coach, he he brought me to Bosnia and we were running around all these different government buildings trying to get the passport. It was like, I felt like I was in an amazing race, honestly and truly. And so, uh, yeah, he just, you know, him and him and Bosnia decided that they wanted to take a chance on me because at the time I was okay. I wasn't a great player yet, but they took a chance on me and they gave me the passport and it's been a great partnership ever since. So I'm happy that we've been able to kind of shake things up a little bit. I'm happy that we've been able to bring a lot of attention to a small country that has so much pride. And I'm very excited about what the future holds for the team and, and for those ladies, man. I just, I love playing with them. I really do. That's great. That's awesome. When you first got there, was a bit of a culture shock? Culture shock in a way of like, yeah, yes, there's a little bit of a culture shock. Like just, just different things, different way that they do things and I don't think I'd ever really been to a place that was as mountainous as Bosnia. I know that sounds crazy. It's beautiful. Like, it's yeah, so, it's like, beautiful. Sarajevo is beautiful, first of all. And then it's just, like, I don't know. There's just so much culture there, like, a lot of wars and stuff that have happened. And I feel like every time you turn a corner in Sarajevo, there's, like, a story to be told about the people and the history, you know? Um, so I think in that way, yes. I love Chavapi. So every time I go there, I get to Vapi. Um, yeah, my mom's born in Bosnia. Oh, really? So. Oh, you have Bosnia yeah. roots? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's we amazing. do love Chapapi. I know I can feel good vibes. It was the Bosnian vibe. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And then I guess in this kind of looking at, back at when you started to now, mm-hmm. what would you say is the greatest improvement when it comes to your game Ooh. or even just mentally and physically? Yeah, the greatest improvement? Um. I honestly think, I think it's the confidence. I think there's a lot of things that I probably could have done in year one, but I didn't have the confidence to do it. And so I think whenever I feel confident about my game, I'm just, 
I'm dangerous, you know, I'm just extremely dangerous. And um, I think my versatility has improved a lot, being able to do the things like pushing the ball up the court and um, taking it coast to coast or scoring one-on-one. And so I think those those things have kind of helped my game tremendously. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Is there anything you do to kind of keep your mental health feeling good? You know, it's crazy. We did a camp today and a little kid asked the same question. He was like, what do you do to like focus on your mental health? And one of the things I said <laughs> was just, uh-huh, just doing stuff outside of basketball, like, of course, it's yeah. my dream job and I love it. But anything that you do every day is eventually going to get a little bit draining. And to keep it fresh, you have to kind of step away from it and do other things. So whether that's going to the movies or calling my family and checking in on them or, you know, just having my loved ones around me. So my brother is actually here right now with my nephew and my sister and they came out for a few games. So just having them here just is kind of it's refreshing, you know, it's rejuvenating. So um, I think those things are kind of what I what I focus on. I like the journal too, like writing things down. So I have a little journal right here that's like my go-to. So this this little thing right here, this is nice. This is it. So um full yeah, of ideas. I know, right? So yeah, it says your mind will always believe everything you tell it. Feed it faith, feed it truth, and feed it with love. So this oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Then I guess um, in the lead up, how does your training change when you know you're looking at something like a World Cup? Yeah. Does it change at all? Um, I would say it changes because you have the you have to factor in international travel. I'm not sure exactly how many of the kind of preseason games I'm going to be able to make, but I know the team was supposed to be flying. I think it was either Japan or getting to Australia early to play a few friendlies. So, like that's another aspect, but just getting in with the with the with the ladies again and just feeling everything out and um you know trying kind of building that chemistry again. Um, thank God it's kind of, it's probably going to be like the same group of ladies, so it's not going to be that tough. But um, I think the biggest thing is just making sure my body feels good. Like once my body feels good, I'm good to go. But I'm um, coming off a long flight like that. It's going to be probably a lot of massages, a lot of um, a lot of training. I mean, a lot of therapy to make sure my body feels loose. And then after that, we're good to go because I'll be I'll be coming straight out of the WNBA season, so I'll be good. Yeah, and have you been to Australia before? No, so I was actually supposed to go. I was supposed to go for college. You were supposed to do a foreign tour there, but we switched it up and decided to go to London and Paris and like that, like, you know, that part of Europe. But I was supposed to go, but I am so excited. I am so excited. Oh, good. That will make it even more exciting because it'll be your first time. Yes. Are you going to be there? Yeah, we're going to be here. We're going to be covering. Perfect. So I'm going to look out for you. Yeah, absolutely. And then also actually now speaking about how, um, what we just touched on before, recovery. Mm -hmm. You guys, do you really focus on recovery? What are some things you really like to do post-match or just in general? Yeah, so even just before I, fin- I started talking to you, I was in my Normatex, so compression boots. Um, I have a game ready, so ice machine. Um, our team has a partnership with a cryo company, so a cryo chamber, which is also like an ice machine. I like to go there to get my body right. Those are some of the things I really do, like just making sure I'm icing and, and you know, improving my circulation for recovery. Um, and then, you know, getting the lift in here and there just to make sure my body feels right. That's awesome. Now I just have some questions that are kind of like quick fire questions. Okay. So these will probably they'll pull them out for the mag. They're like fun little questions. Right. Nothing too serious. But the first one is just two songs that get you in training mode. Oh, two songs yeah. that get me in training mode. So Rise and Shine by J. Cole. That's like my all time favorite. Nice. Yeah. Favorite song, Rise and Shine. Um, oh, training mode. I need one more. What can I say? I, I, when you listen to them, it's easy, but then when you have to think of what they are, you're like, oh. I know, right? It's tough. 
So I actually, I'm just now getting into Young Boy. So NBA Young Boy, which is crazy because I never thought I would like him. But I like I like a song by him and Snoop Dogg called Callin. So C A L L I N. But I listen to those two, and they get me into they get me into workout mode for sure. Nice. And then, uh, what would be your perfect day off? Oh, my perfect day off. So it would start with like waking up and either going to get breakfast or making breakfast myself. Um, then I would probably take my dogs to like a dog park where they can walk off leash because I have two uh, golden doodles. And they love walking off leash and they're really good off leash. So I probably take them to like a dog park that's like right around the corner from here. It's like huge and they can walk off leash all around the place. Um, then I probably do like hmm, a perfect day off would probably be like go to the beach or something. Because, you know, we have beaches here in Connecticut, hang out with the team at the pool. One of those two things. And then probably like catching a movie or something like that because I love going to the movie. What about food? Food. I'm a, I'm a foodie. I love I love trying new things. I love Honestly, I'll try anything as long as it's not shrimp, lobster, or crab because I can't eat those things. But anything oh. else, anything else, I'm all for. Like, I'm just, I'm really a foodie. Like, I love to eat. Nice. Um, and then this is kind of just a question about happiness. Mm-hmm. What makes you happy? What makes me happy? Oh, man, my family. My family makes me so happy. Um, my dogs make me extremely happy. Winning basketball games makes me really happy. I'll say that. Um, I bet. But I think... Like just seeing the level of pride from like from Bosnians and Bahamians too, like and understanding that like, you know, you have these countries behind you and people that follow you that just are so so happy to call you one of them, you know, like being a part of them. And so I think that makes me really happy when I go out there and I put a good I put, you know, a good representation out there and put good feet forward or a good foot forward, whatever the right term is. But, you know, just to make them proud, like that makes me really happy and to hear people say that they're proud of me makes me happy too. Yeah, I love that. And then the last one for this bit is, do you have a morning ritual? Morning ritual. I wouldn't call it a ritual because it all depends on when I go to bed. And my bedtime is really just whenever I decide to go to bed. And so my morning ritual is probably definitely wake up, brush my teeth, take a shower, walk the dogs. Well, wake up, walk the dogs, then do all that stuff because they're they're crazy once I wake up. Probably make some coffee, get some breakfast, and then head to the gym. So that's probably my my morning routine. And changes if it's an off day it'll probably be do all that stuff and then take the dogs to the dog park or something nice Mm -hmm. that's awesome well thank you nicolina i'm excited to meet you in person yeah i'm excited for you to come it's going to be really good perfect thank you so much enjoy the rest of your day all good you too bye love all right bye this episode of Uninterrupted was hosted by Nicolina Illich and produced by me, Lisa Gabilagan. For more from us, pick up a copy of our latest issue with Ezzy Magbagor on the cover. Find it on newsstands or digitally via Apple News Plus. Visit us at womenshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. Thank you. We'll see you next time.